thank you for this morning. We thank you for life. We thank you for health. We thank you for freedom in this place. We thank you that we have many, many things in this life, Lord. We are blessed with good health. We can see, we can walk, we can smell, we can walk, we can talk, we can sing. We have a proper shelter over this church that we can chairs to sit, a microphone. We have musicians, we have food. Lord, we are blessed beyond measure. Help us to count our blessing, help us to complain less, and help us to learn how to use and manage our resources for your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us today from this important sermon. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last time I preached from Nehemiah was four weeks ago. Chapter 5. Chapter 5, I'm going to spend two weeks. So you have part 1 today, and the part 2 will be in six weeks' time. Why? Because the month of May is a mission month. I'll update you next week. Uh, so it's a mission-focused month. And so I want to touch on chapter 5, which is a very, very important uh, passage. I wish more people were here because quite a number of people are away because this is a message for internal church people, uh, particularly dealing with this very important topic. Uh, life is full of challenges, right? Life is a series of challenges. There will never be a time, maybe until the time you die, there will never be a time in your life that there are no challenges. If you are single, you have challenges. If you are married, you also have challenges. Many, many, many single people want to get married and many married people want to get out of marriage. You have children, you have challenges. You don't have children, you also have challenges. Life is a series of challenges. Before the church amalgamate with uh, Bulin Church, I was telling you all, I said that, well, if we amalgamate, there are challenges. If we don't amalgamate, there are also challenges. There will be no time where there's no challenges. And Nehemiah, while he was building the wall, leading the people, he faced many, 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 many challenges. In chapter 1, the challenge was himself. It was a very personal challenge. Because he heard about what was happening in Jerusalem, he sat down, he wept, he said, what can I do? That was his challenge. Or should I just pretend nothing happened and just be happily be a cup bearer and get, be rich and just happy, hang around with rich people? He has a personal challenge. And then in chapter 2, his challenge was political. What now? Now the king asked me, what do you want? What should I do? And he asked for a request. He made a prayer to the Lord. And then in chapter 3, when they finally begin to build a wall, he was confronted an administrative challenge. How to draw all these people together to single-mindedly come together to build the wall? And so he kind of uh, positioning the right workers in the right place for the right reasons. And then in chapter 4, he dealt with the challenge of discouragement. You know, it's easy to get excited in the beginning, halfway through the project, everybody start to, start to complain and whinge and tired and all this kind of thing begin to creep in. And so they say that in the middle of the project always spells disaster. So he dealt with the challenge of discouragement. The workers were afraid of the enemies and he were, they were convinced they couldn't work anymore. Look at all these rubbles around us. So Nehemiah rallied the troops to come together under pressure. And as we come to chapter 5, the challenge is even greater. It's easy to unite your hearts together to fight an outside enemies. But it's harder to 
deal with internal problems. And chapter 5, Nehemiah has to deal with internal problems. This same community is starting to self-destruct because of some festering grievances. The workers now face a new enemy which is harder to conquer than the previous one. And the timing could not have been worse because the wars are almost done and Nehemiah has to put down his hard head and turn his attention from the construction of the wall to dealing with the problems that they are facing. You know, someone said it's much easier to conquer and subdue an enemy which attack us than it is to forgive and restore a friend who hurt us from within. And so I want to read through to you chapter 5 and I want to give you three points and in the three points there are a few sub-points that I want to give to you. How to handle strife within the community. The church always has strife within the community. As I always said, the enemies is always within in the country, the enemies within in the church is within, in the family, the enemies always within. Even our own enemy is ourselves is within. It's always uh, ourselves, it's always things that's within us. So let me read to you chapter 5, and you can pick up how Nehemiah handled the strife that's brewing in this community that we all can learn something from it. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry. They were doing a great work for a great God and now there's a great outcry. Against who? Their own fellow Jews, their own people, right? Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were complaining and saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery to sell for slavery just to survive. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless. Why? Because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry, Nehemiah said, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind. And then I accused the nobles and officers. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyard, oilies, groves, and houses. 
and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said. How nice. People will submit to authority. We will give it back and we will not demand anything from them. We will do as you say. And then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and I said in this way, may God shake out of your house and possessions anyone who does not keep his promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, which means so be it. I agree. And praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years. For 12 years, Nehemiah was a governor of Judah. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over there, over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officers ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. What a man. We will come to that. I want to give you three points. The first point is, Complaints Nehemiah heard. There are grievances in the community. Nehemiah gathered together and hear their complaint. Give them a listening ear. Talking is not as important as hearing. The first duty of love is always to listen. That is the first duty of love. Paul Tillich, the existential philosophy says that first duty of love if, du if love has many duties the number one duty of love is to listen is to listen but we talk too much complaints Nehemiah heard there are four complaints four groups of people complain to Nehemiah of four issues and Nehemiah had to listen to them first then he can pro propose an action forward four groups of people Four different groups of people present four different types of problems to him. The first one is people, own, people who own no land but needed food. There are, the region has been through a period of famine and food supplies have become scarce and the man has gone to build a wall and because they went and built a wall, 
they have kind of uh, neglected or don't have the time to, to do the work that is at home. So greedy merchants, they were working so hard at the war on the war that they didn't have time to plant or take care of their crops. So these people who they have no land but they need food, they need grain. And that's why they complain. They raised the village Jew. Say, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat, they stay alive. We must get grain. We have no food. So that's the first group of people. People who own no land, but they need food. And then there's a second group of people. Landowners who had mortgaged their property in order to buy food. People who have land. But because of famine, they have to mortgage their land so as to gain some money to buy food to eat. And that's where verse 3 tells us this. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyard, and our home to get grain during this famine time. And greedy merchants used the opportunity to inflate the price of grain. And some people have been compelled to mortgage their fields, vineyard, and home just to raise enough money to feed their hungry families. So there's two groups of people here. And then the third group of people, they, are, they complained that taxes were too high. Many people were forced to borrow money just to pay their tax bills because the Persian king's taxes on their fields and vineyards have been increased to meet rising imperial expenditure, building magnificent palaces. And as a result, many people have found it impossible to meet this additional burden. You see, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyard. So there's a third group of people complaining to Nehemiah this problem. And the fourth group of people, which is the worst of all, and Nehemiah has the harshest words on these people. There are those who are wealthy who are taking this opportunity in exploiting others. Their own people, their own Jewish brothers. So they took this opportunity. They are bound to have this kind of people around who like to take advantage of people, like to exploit people at the lowest point of their life, that is the moment to go in and kill. Those who were wealthy, who were exploiting others. Look at verse 5. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. We have to sell them to get money just to survive. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So there are this group of wealthy people who were exploiting others, charge exorbitant interest, their own people, even though if you read the, uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy, it was very, very clear before they entered the promised land, the rules were laid down how they should behave. They should not. They can lend money, they can loan money to people, their own people, but they must not charge interest. Look at Deuteronomy. Do not charge a fellow Israelite interest, whether on money or food or anything else that may earn interest. You can loan it to people, but don't charge interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but not a fellow Israelite, your own brothers so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you put your hand to in the land you are entering to possess. So before they enter the promised land, Moses already laid down from God all these rules 
to govern them when they enter the promised land. They are not to charge them. But these wealthy Jews, they are charging their own people. They are going against 12% a year, 1% a month. So 12% a year interest on these poor Jews who can't even afford to eat. So those are the complaints that Nehemiah heard. Four groups of people. So what is Nehemiah going to do? So the second point I want to give to you is there are some steps that Nehemiah took to handle this complaints. There are six things that Nehemiah need to do. Nehemiah gathered together them. But before I give you the six things that Nehemiah appealed to, I need you to look at uh, verse 6. Where I don't have it. I, I must have missed out the PowerPoint here. Uh, maybe I have it. No, I don't have it. Uh, verse 6, Nehemiah said, Nehemiah said, when I heard their cry, he was what? He was very angry. Very angry. My friend, there's nothing wrong to be angry. In the Bible, there's such a thing called righteous anger. Righteous, because anger is an emotion. They say anger is only one letter short of danger. You add a D in front, it becomes dangerous. Anger is an emotion. What makes it wrong is when you direct at the wrong person or wrong issue. But righteous anger is always directing as the right thing. If you want to fight for justice, there is no way that you can be passive. Lembe, no, no, that kind of people can never fight for justice. You need people who are angry at injustice. That is wrong! Those kind of people can fight for justice. And that is precisely why Nehemiah was very angry. He was very angry. But you, you must take note that he, he is angry. He may be angry, but he has, he's not just only letting his emotion take control and blasting people all around. In verse 7, he said that he pondered. So there's emotion involved, but there's also intellect involved. Emotionally, he was angry, but intellectually, he pondered upon it. And then action took place. So it was emotional, intellectual, as well as volitional, a will to do something about it. So you can see, anger is an appropriate, but not necessarily a sufficient response. Emotional distress was followed by intellectual reflection, which in turn led to practical action. The heart is moved, very angry. The mind is engaged. He pondered them. And then the will is motivated, gathered assembly together and accused these people. So six things he did. The first thing is he appealed to their love. He appealed to this group of people. The first thing is he appealed to their love. He said, I pondered them. Huh? He was very angry. He pondered them. And mind is engaged. Intellectually, he's engaged. So that his emotion won't run wild and start to anyhow scold people, you know, which most of us, our anger is like that because we always react. A little bit of we react, 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 react. We don't ponder. We don't think. We don't listen. He said, I pondered them in my mind. Then and only he accused the nobles and officials. He said, you are charging your own people interest. Hello? He said, these are your own brothers. These are your own 
families. Do you charge your own family interest? You loan money to your brother, do you charge your brother interest? You loan money to your son, do you charge your son interest? You see, you cannot do that. Nehemiah said, Jewish people is a, is a, is a race, it's a chosen race. And it's very clearly stated by God that you should not. He said, you are charging your own people interest. First step is he was trying to appeal to their love. These are your brothers. How dare you do that? Nobody would do that. Please. He's appealing to their love. And secondly, of course he called together and deal with it. Secondly, he appealed to their conscience. He appealed to their conscience. Conscience is God's internal moral law that is given to mankind. We have a conscience. Sometimes you do something wrong, your conscience will prick you. It will prick you. He appealed to their conscience. Look at verse 8. He said, As far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews. You know, when we were poor, we sold the Jew to the Gentiles. And then we try our best to save money to buy them back, redeem them back from the Gentiles. And now you are selling them back to the Gentiles for your own people just because you want to make some money. It doesn't make sense. We, we, we bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles during the Egyptian day when they were in Egypt and as well as Babylonian. Now you're selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. How silly. How silly, how can you do that? He appealed to their conscience, pricking their conscience. We all have conscience. God give us conscience. You know, there was a story about two little, two little kids, a boy and a girl, and uh, the boy had a bag of marbles and the girl had a bag of candies. And so the boy, the boy came to the girl and said, uh, why don't I give you my marble and you give me my candies? And, uh, and the girl thought for a little while, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll go back and pick up all the candies. And so the, and they all went back and and this boy went back looking at his number and said, I number so many, so beautiful. It doesn't, I don't think she would know or she'd mind if I kept some beautiful best marble for myself. So she picked up a few and put it under the pillow. And so they came back together again and this girl brought her candies and, and, and she brought all the marbles and then they exchanged. And I don't know why the girl wanted marbles, but uh, she, she wants it. Uh, so they, they went home and, uh, they, and they started eating his candy and she started playing the marbles. And at night time, the girl went home and, and, and slept very well. But this boy kept staying up awake, thinking and thinking and thinking. Do you know why he could not sleep? Because he was thinking and thinking through his restless mind. Did she really give me all her candies? <coughs> Did she really? Because he he's, guilt, he's guilty. He kept some marbles. Our conscience will prick us. And here, Nehemiah was trying to appeal to their conscience to do the right thing. He said, you are silly. We have been working so hard to redeem this slave back from the Gentiles in Babylon, during the Egyptian day, and now you just want to make some money by forcing these people, this poor Jew, in selling them, buying and then selling and all this kind of thing just to make some money. 
And thirdly, he appealed to their morality, not just appealed to their love, not just appealed to, to their conscience, but now he appealed to their morality. In the first part of verse 9, he said, what you are doing is not right. I sometimes feel that we don't even dare to use the word nowadays. That what you are doing is not right. We don't even need we don't even dare to use this word anymore because it has become so relative. And we human beings, we are so clever nowadays. We are able to find reason, excuses, to justify everything from an obvious wrong to become obviously so right to do. We are so clever nowadays. You just need to get a few uh, uh, scientists or something like that and just write some paper, some PhD people to produce some paper and uh, just argue this and all that and it becomes something that is so beautiful when we all know instinctively it is something that is so wrong. I once watched ABC program Q&A and they were talking about LUST, L-U-S-T and, uh, and this person, he said, LUST is very good. He said, i tell you why LUST is very good because LUST helps you to concentrate. Last help you to concentrate. So that's very good, he said. There was an interesting debate uh, many years ago between Frederick Copperstone and the late, brilliant 80s Bertrand Russell. There was a debate. At one point, Frederick Copperstone asked Russell, said, Mr. Russell, you do believe in good and bad, don't you? And Russell answered, Yes, I do. And then Bertrand Russ, uh, then uh, Frederick Copperson say, "How do you differentiate between them?" He said, "Well, the same way as I differentiate between yellow and blue." And then Frederick Copperson said, "Well, you distinguish between yellow and blue by seeing, but how do you differentiate between good and bad?" And Bertrand Russell, with all his brilliance, said this, "Well." How do I differentiate between good and bad? On the basis of feeling. Of course, what else? Based on feeling. And the authors say, well, I must confess that Mr. Copperstone was a very kind gentleman and many others. The appropriate logical cue for the moment would have been, Mr. Russell, in some cultures, they love their neighbors. In some cultures, they eat their neighbors. Both based on feeling. Do you have any preference? There is no morality cannot be based on feeling. And so here, Nehemiah appealed to their morality and said, Hey, what you are doing is not right. It's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. And fourthly, he appealed to their theology theology. He says this, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? The Gentiles are laughing at us. You Jewish people, look at you. You are selling back your slave to me just to make some money. He said, shouldn't you have this healthy fear of God? Because he built God into the picture. 
God is in their lives. And fourthly, fifthly, he appealed to his own actions. He appealed to his own actions. You know what he did? He confessed. He said, you know what? I also loan money to them. I also loan or give grain to my own people. But I did not charge them interest. He said, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. 1% per month, so 12% a year that they are charging. And so Nehemiah appealed to his own action. He said, even I, I do loan money to these people. They come to me for help. I do not charge them interest as what the law stipulated. And maybe I'm not surprised that he might have actually given some money in helping these people. So I don't know. All that he just said here is that I also do that. Uh, I did not charge them interest. Uh, I think you should do likewise. And the last thing, the last thing that uh, on the sixth point that Nehemiah, after hearing the problem, appeal to them, not just only to their love, to their conscience, morality, not just only to their, his own action as well as his theology. Finally, he appealed to the judgment of God in verse 12 and 13. Very, very beautifully, these people actually say, yes, we will give it back. They were very obedient. We will give it back. I'm sorry, we have done wrong. What you say is true. These are our own brothers. You are true to say that we have done wrong by selling them to Gentiles. They are mocking at us now. Is it is true to say that we should have a healthy fear of the Lord? You know, we have done wrong. We, we will give it back. And we will not demand anything from them. We will do as you say. No question, no argument. We will do it. No, don't have the word but. You know, many times we always say, uh, I, I, if I hurt you, uh, I, I apologize. But, you know, uh, I didn't go in another quarrel, you know. Uh, we don't say sorry. Right? We sort of justify why we did what we did and then ended up another quarrel. You are here to apologize, but ended up another quarrel. And the wounds go deeper. No but, no excuses. We will give it back. And we will not demand anything from them. We will do as you say. But Nehemiah did not stop there. Nehemiah did not say, oh, well done. Okay, do it, okay. Remember, do it, okay. You know what he did? He put in place to ensure that they would do it. This is what he did. He said, then I summoned the priests and I made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. Make them promise. Take an oath. And then, not just only that, I also shook out the folds of my robe as a leader, he said. And I said to them, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. And so may such a person be shaken out and emptied. Wow, strong word. He's invoking on the judgment of God. He said, if you don't do it, the judgment of God will fall upon you. The judgment of God will fall upon you if you do not keep your promise. If you just only okay, we will do it, and the next minute you will still do the same thing. He said, may. He made them take an oath and then make an appeal and say, well, if you don't do it, the judgment of God will fall on you. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, which means I agree, and praise the Lord, and the people did 
as they had promised, which is to their credit, which is wonderful. So he appealed to the judgment of God. So these are the actions that Nehemiah took. He heard their complaints, this internal strife, there's a lot of faction within the, the community, they heard their cry, and then he, he was very angry, he pondered upon it, and then he called the assembly together, and then he appealed to their love, morality, theology, judgment of God, and everything else, his own action, to hopefully to get a good outcome. But the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The final five verses is an amazing verses that I could preach few sermons from that. Examples Nehemiah said. So complaints Nehemiah heard, action Nehemiah took. Now he set an example. He set an example. These five verses tell us what he did as a governor for 12 years in Judah. What he do as a position. He tells us a little bit, just a little bit about his own lifestyle during this period. Nehemiah's memoir tells us how he behaved. He was basically motivated by two biblical principles. Uh, he has been a governor. It is often said that if you want to know a person's heart, you don't just give the person responsibilities. If you give a person responsibility, you pay them to do the work, they will get the job done. The way to know a person's heart is to give them privileges. If a person knows how to handle privileges, you know the person is good. Yes? When you abuse your privileges, even though it's your entitlement, you know the person is out there to abuse and Nehemiah as a governor for 12 years, high position, receives lots of funding. He never abused his position. Blessed is who? Someone said that blessed is he who has learned to admire but not envy. Blessed is he who has learned to follow but not imitate. Blessed is he who has learned to praise but not to flatter. And finally, I think this is what Nehemiah did. Blessed is he who has learned to lead, but not to manipulate. Blessed is the person who sees the need, recognizes the responsibility, and actively becomes the answer. So these five verses here, it was a short account of Nehemiah's 12-year tenor as governor. He supported himself rather than charged the people with his maintenance. If, even though rightly so. He did not take advantage of his position to acquire land or feather his nest for the future. His time was devoted to making Jerusalem safe for his brothers, not to building his own personal fortune. He supplied his own table. He welcomed strangers to share the hospitality. He did all this because he loved God. And if God keep track of his sacrifices, that was sufficient for Nehemiah. Nobody need to praise me, you see. Nehemiah probably understood that greatness is not found in possessions. Greatness is not found in power. Greatness is not found in position. Greatness is not found in prestige. It is discovered in goodness. 
humility, service, and character. The more generous we are, the more joyous we become. The more cooperative we are, the more valuable we become. The more enthusiastic we are, the more productive we become. And the more serving we are, the more prosperous we become. And Nehemiah knows all these examples because he was motivated by true basic principle. He has a reverence for God. He has a huge reverence for God. Look at this. He said, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah. For how many years? For 12 years. And look at what he said. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. I'm entitled, but I don't. I don't. Not only I didn't do that, but, he said, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lauded it over the people. But he didn't, he said. Why? Out of reverence for God. I did not act like that. Out of reverence for God. Reverence for God to Nehemiah meant honoring God's name, obeying God, and loving God's people. He never abused his position. He never abused his own power. He said, out of reverence for God, I won't do all these things. Even though I'm entitled, I don't do all this. I don't. I don't, you know, all this food allocated for me. I don't, I don't place extra burden on people. And not just only he was motivated by reverence for God, he had this great compassion for others. He cares for his people. He doesn't want to place burden on his people to support his lifestyle as a governor. He didn't. He has great reverence for God. He has great compassion for others. Look at what he did. Not only he did not burden the people, not only did he, did he not uh, eat those choice food that's allotted to him, he said, instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officers at my, at, at my table. 150 of them. Maybe some of the key leaders at, at my table together at my own expense. As well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Look at how he has compassion for people. Not just only he has reverence for God, he knows, he knows. He would place burden on these people. He probably do it on his, all his expenses. You know, when you take, tie these two principles together, what is the great commandment in the Bible? Or greatest commandment in the Bible? Which is what? Which is the great commandment in the Bible? Eh? Which one? Love God and love the neighbor. That is the key principle. 
Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. And so, in fact, all the, I mean, the Bible says that all laws are summarized up in this two. And so here, Nehemiah had great reverence for God and great compassion for others. He loved God and he loved others. And that principle ingrained into his life in the way he held his position as a governor. So these are the ways that Nehemiah handled internal strife. He listened to the problem, he uh, planned an action, and then he took steps for himself. I have many, many implications, essential and important application of this sermon that I will come back to it only in six weeks' time. Uh, I don't want to get this past chapter 5, which is a very important text. Let me finish with this, all right? Let me finish with this story. I want to challenge you as you leave this place this morning. There were two brothers who 